Smartcast. You are listening to a Radio One production brought to you by HD Smartcast. This is Minding My Business, the CEO story with Ramesh Menon and Rishi K. Hello. We're a peace-loving team at Radio 1 and HD Smartcast, so it really pains us when there is an invasion of any sort. The only invasion we are okay with is an invasion of happiness. So let me introduce my co-host, an all-round good man who brings in a fair amount of happiness and good cheer, the CEO of Fever Network and Radio 1, Ramesh Menon. Hey, how are you? All good. Hi, Rishi. Well said on the invasion bit. And this, yes, is the time when the world needs a large amount of Indian spirituality and the doctrines, uh, may I say, uh, of ancient Ayurveda. Spoken like a true Malayali. Ramesh. I mean, your home state, Kerala, is the place where Ayurveda has always been thriving, hasn't it? And you had to get that one in. <laughs> You're right. Absolutely. But then there are people who've taken that ancient science and added a touch of modern cool to it and made it palatable in a sense to Indian and international audiences and consumers. And we're really happy to have one such pioneer with us today. Please welcome Vivek Sani, CEO and co-founder of Kama Ayurveda. Hi, Vivek. Good to have you here and hope all well. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I love the idea of being a pioneer. I never thought of it that way. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. You're, you're a modest man, Vivek. I don't know, but I mean, I, I guess something that's been around for a few thousand years, I hardly seem like a pioneer. Pioneer of modernizing it and taking yeah, it international. Yeah, what, what was the idea behind the conception of Kama Ayurveda? How has that evolved with the passage of time? So, you know, uh, how does one say it? Uh, I think the best things happen by mistake or randomly. And um, this was one of them. We never came out thinking that we're going to create an Ayurvedic brand which is going to go around the world, yada, yada, yada. It was a bunch of us sitting around having a conversation and thinking about what we could do, what we could take, which was Indian, which was traditional, which had a proven provenance, efficacy, et cetera, you want to know what, and take it out to the world. And with that thought process is where we came upon Ayurveda. We went to Coimbatore. We discovered all these different Ayurvedic institutions, AVP in particular, who we work with. I guess literally, it's literally magic. I mean, it feels, I guess, not magic because it's a science, but it feels like magic because it works. It's plant-based and the plants worked in a particular way actually help you. And I walked into this hospital where there were a bunch of people being treated for many different diseases um, and, you know, the treatments were working. And it really was an eye-opener because for me, uh, as a novice from North India, um, you know, what, I was like, what is all this? But it was quite extraordinary. And that's how we started. And how it's transformed today? Um, well, you know, it was 20 years ago uh, when we started this thing. At that point in time, like me, most people didn't really, but there's a vague awareness of Ayurveda that it's Indian. It was something which usually some relation, probably an older relation would recommend. Uh, it was usually quite smelly and, you know, you didn't really think too much about it. And it's usually some kind of medicine for stomach upset or headache or weird or whatever, some kind of thing. Or some sort of, you know, incurable disease you were sent there. But this actual thing of using it as an everyday form, you know, to put into your bathroom or on your dressing table and utilize it as a daily as a daily use product i think that's what's transformed and, and that's what we've been able to do is to take something which was specifically you know go to a doctor get a treatment get this product try it out and here this is something which you can buy online you can buy it at a karma store you can buy it anywhere and you know put it into your bathroom in your kitchen wherever you want to put it on your dressing table and you use it every single day and you know see the results not only for yourself but for your family and i think that's what the transformation has been you told us about your you know, how you started. Can you tell us about, you know, what was your life pre-Kama and that that's a sort of a journey that our listeners would love 
to you. Nothing to do with nothing to do with beauty. Nothing to do with Ayurveda. In a nutshell, I went to Delhi University to start with. I joined my family business, which I did not like. And I think one of the good things I did was I I worked there for three years, almost four years, and that was enough to tell me I did not want to work there. So it was not like I did not want to work there, just like a like a thing of my head. It was I went in there, I worked there, and I said this is definitely not for me. I quit, and then I was really not very good for very much else because I'd be sort of grown up assuming I was going to do this. So you know, what do you do? And you, I had to spend. I spent one summer figuring out what I was going to do, and um, I ended up going to. I always was good with a computer, and I ended up going to art school in America, where I studied communication design, and. I came back to India, and my family. My grandfather was a journalist. My father was a journalist, and so I was actually very keen on publishing. So I ended up working for publishing houses, designing books, designing magazines, designing journals. From that, it went on to designing, working with the you know, the art scene had just opened up in India. All these new galleries had opened up, so I started designing there the artist catalogs, things like that. And you know, it was sort of like a growing journey. So you know, like whatever would come my way, it wasn't like I'm only going to do a book. It was like you know, then I had a bunch of corporate. Habit. I started designing, but I only what I did learn from my from my role of working with my family was I've quit some things I don't like to do. I'm only going to do what I enjoy doing. So that is very clear. So even the corporate work I took on was work I was interested in doing, which was interesting to me. I was not going to take on work which I you know only one thing which you don't like, and then take something else on which you don't like. What's the point? You know. So I only took on projects. So obviously I didn't make. I made far less money than I would have. Um, so you know it was difficult, but frankly, you know that's a call you take. You choose, you know, you take a call between the things you want to do and financial gain at that point in time. I guess. I mean, you can have both, of course. But anyway, I chose to sort of do the things I wanted to do, uh, work on the projects I wanted to work on, and you know, out of the blue, I also started designing wedding cards. Um, a friend of mine is a fashion designer. He came up to me. Some client had asked him to do a wedding card. He didn't know what to do, so he came to me. I ended up doing it. Cause see that I ended up doing. A, I created a separate wing which made wedding cards, which actually started paying my bills, which could actually pay for my, which would pay for the pay for the publishing design and the exhibition design and all the low paying other jobs I was doing. So you know, it was a it was a, it was a wonderful project. And from this, I started doing packaging design, uh, where I started packaging uh, you know three dimensional things. And at this point in time, I ended up with getting a project from the government of india with khadi gramadyo to repack create a gift box for them with packaging which i did do which is an interesting project which lasted and i created this brand around this khadi you know, kvic products um, it was done by them it was a uh, it was a very interesting project and that actually led on to this the journey of karma because that project finished my other co-founders came to me said who okay, came to us me and my this other business partner can we do this together and that's how karma came about so frankly i think you know everything happens for a reason and You know, whatever you do, all ends up somewhere. So suddenly, now, twenty uh, years later, I'm I ran away from my father's factory and now I've set up a factory. So, <laughs> so you, you know, it all comes back at some. It all comes back at some point. There are two ways to describe it. One is that life comes full circle. The other thing is when you least expect life to bite you in the butt, it does. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So who knows? You have to like. I guess you have to do all of these things. They come back to you. Yeah. Let's come back to karma. You know. you're known for your ayurvedic products vivek but what we find very very impressive is that you combine scientific formula with ayurveda tell us about the brands r&d and the formulation of these progressive products 
So, you know, we have, uh, so there are two parts to it. One is we work with the classical Ayurvedic formulation because that's the base for all our products, okay? Uh, so the classical, you know, whether it's the Kumkumadi Thailam, the Nilimringadi oil, the Nalpramadi, these are all words actually were not even out in the general, how do you say it, uh, vocabulary until we sort of push this out there. Um, now they're pretty well known and there are tons of other people doing the same thing or trying to do the same thing anyway. But we... One of the things was, it's all very well to say this is efficacious. What's the proof? So we actually went out and did clinical trials for each of these products uh, with different age groups, with men and women, to actually see if these products worked. So this is one part of it. So there's the classical formulations, which we did clinical trials to make sure. And the classical formulations were adjusted by us because obviously a lot of them are meant for specific skin issues. So we adjusted them to suit, you know, uh, make them all tridosha, all skin types, uh, and uh, all women. Or try dosha basically, and we uh, adjusted them and then tested them in the clinical trials. So we had to, basically we had to do all the tests, obviously for allergies, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, stability, uh, all of those things. And so there's a scientific proof to show that these things work. And then there are the Ayurveda derived products, and that's where the real innovation is, where we basically will take this formulation, which is an oil, and actually make it into a cream. Uh, with a very high concentration, because the higher the active, the higher the concentration, the more effective the cream is, you know. So if I put in 12% active, it's more effective than putting in 5% active, you know. So the issue, of course, is the higher the active, the lower the shelf life. So we basically had to come to a, you, you come to a mid, midpoint where you say, it's going to have a two-year shelf life and not a three-year shelf life, but I will have a higher active and I will have a cleaner, and a, you know. Also, the other thing was to have an absolutely clean product. So, you know, I, I cannot use the normal preservatives that people would use. I'm trying to use a food grade or very, very mild preservative systems so that I'm trying to, you know, keep the nomenclature of, of an EU certified clean product. And those certifications keep changing all the time. So every year there's a new list of banned substances or to be banned substances. So it's almost like a trade barrier. So you have to keep cleaning the product up constantly. So there's a huge amount of innovation that goes into it, which is why mostly it would take us about two to three years to develop a new product by the time we bought it out to market. So there's a lot in the pipeline by the time they started coming out. Uh, obviously, as a small company with uh, limited resources, it was very slow. Over the years now, obviously, we've got you know, more money, we've got funding, we've got a larger R&D department. So the process is speeded up. That's great. Vic, tell us about your uh, growth story. That's something that's that would be interesting for everybody. So when we started, as I said, you know, it was an interesting project. We ran it out of my office. Uh, because I had this space, it was just by chance. Um, and it was slow. We basically had eight products and we did not have the wherewithal to open a shop. We also, we didn't have, you can't open a shop with eight products. I mean, you know, that is, it doesn't make sense. So what we did do was we basically put it into shop-in shops. Uh, and at that point in time, retail in India was not that organized. So it was basically, you know, friends uh, of the four of us, you know, whether it was Good Earth, which really helped us, to the Oberoi Beauty Parlors, to, you know, things like that, literally like that, the park hotels, park hotel stores, you know, places like that, which would put the product in. Then we looked at chemists, uh, premium chemists, because that was a very good place where people ended up buying products. So for the first 10 years till 2012, we just, it was, the retail was through that. And in 2012, we basically decided, obviously, the range of products had grown and we decided at that point you know i think it's time to actually do something with this brand you know and that's when we opened our first store and it was actually very interesting because you know you first have to imagine what is this physical entity of karma going to be like because one is to have a product but then, you know what this environment is going to be like and we, you know we debated a lot and we finally came up with the, the, the way it looks and feels the sensorial there's always some agarbati burning or an essential oil burning there's music you know how does a customer interact how does and i basically i would sit in that shop pretty much every day watching people shop and my biggest and our biggest thing at that point in time was 
the shop has to break even because the rent was so high. And we borrowed money from a whole bunch of people to, you know, put the deposit on the shop. But it was very interesting. So that shop started actually paying back within three months. And we were like, wow. And then we opened another shop 2013. And then 2014, we got our first round of investment. Very short, very, very quick. We were still a very tiny company. And then from those two stores in 2014, we're at about 50, 52 stores now, uh, 75 shopping shops, et cetera, et cetera. So we grew at about 50% year on year till 2019. And obviously with, you know, post-pandemic, it's it, it, it slowed down. But it's exponential, literally. And, you know, and all the stuff that goes with it, because literally hiring people, hiring store staff, training systems, there's nothing, you know. And, you know, putting all of that together. So it was sort of... Uh, Sometimes I didn't quite know what day it was and what week it was. And <laughs> it also meant no. But it was, it's, I have to say it's been a lot of fun and it's something which I enjoy doing. Otherwise, I wouldn't have done it. So uh, I think that's the most important thing. I'm keen to know, apart from the cash crunch, were there a couple of challenges that you can put your finger on and say these were monstrous challenges that you surmounted, Vivek? Well, you know, I don't surmount it because of challenges every day. But the, this is a basic thing. Okay, what does a graphic designer who's doing art books know about running a business? Like Jack. True. <laughs> you know? So I'm, I'm, I'm serious. Like, you know, what, what do you know? So basically I had to teach myself. Like, so these guys came in and said, so do you have an ERP system? I was like, what's an ERP system? So then, you know, <laughs> you know, I mean, basic, like basic stuff. So that is the biggest one was educating myself and educating myself. So that in itself was the biggest one. And I'm still doing it. It's a, it's a constant learning because I did not have a business background. I did not have an engineering background. I did not have any of those things. So basically the first thing was, you know, teaching myself on a constant basis as to what's going on. One, then getting the right people in place because, you know, how do you hire correctly? Because, you know, I do have experience in that area. You no, know, so if you've been into an IIM, whatever, an IIM or IIT or whatever MBA school, you have some sensation, you work with people like that, but I hadn't. So, you know, I had to get the funds to help me to hire the right people, get the right people in place. That is the biggest one, I think, was to get the right people in place, get, then get the supply chains in place. Because obviously, you know, when you're gearing up, making product for one shop and, you know, some a whole bunch of shopping shops is one thing. The minute you're expanding on a scale, how does one do that? How do you create relationships with your vendors? There's all third party at that point. We didn't have a plant. You know, how does one do that? You know, put all of those and then get people obviously to start dealing with that because obviously you can't do everything yourself and making sure those people are the right people. And then also very often, and it does happen, I think everywhere, you start as you get in other people, the company is small. People started taking advantage of you. They start skimming off, you know. So putting controls into that. So you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an amazing learning, I have to say. You know, and a, a lot of those challenges are still there. Uh, but I think the biggest thing is to keep an open mind, not to get too flustered, and not to put your hands up. Just say, you know, it's fine. It'll happen. It'll sort itself out. And I think very important is to choose your battles. So at some point, you know, you know, this is drama is continuing on that side. But you know, fine, let it continue. It's not worth it because I got this other bigger drama to deal with. So finish that one and then get to it. So you know, you choose your, you choose your. Battles. To, to, to deal with them. So you mentioned the pandemic uh, in passing, but uh, the pandemic has been good and bad for different businesses so, and parts of different businesses have succeeded and done well and, you know, some done badly. What has it been like for you and how did your brand navigate these waters? I know it's been pretty bad for retail as a as a, as a business. Well, yeah. How did you navigate it? So, you know, we were primarily a retail brand uh, with shops and shopping shops. And when we shut down, frankly, we were like, what's going on? Literally, like, what do we do now? This is like one most, like you said, challenges. This is one big, big, huge one. And I was literally like, how am I going to pay my salaries? And how am I going to do anything? Uh, and uh, we literally 
we had to hire people for the site. We had to, first of all, the site was an okay site. It was a very okay site, technologically and in terms of navigability and you know, user-friendliness. So we basically, on Zoom, hired people, put in teams in place. And simultaneously, the biggest thing which we did have was this big asset of all our store staff. And we started a home delivery system. We basically got in a 1-800 number. We got the technology for that. Got them to go out calling our loyal customers, replenishing through that. Then I had all my trainers, you know, the guys who used to train the staff. They're sitting at home and doing nothing. So then I started an online beauty consult with them through WhatsApp video um, or on the site directly. So, you know, uh, free. But then we found that the minute you're doing an online beauty consult, everybody's sitting at home doing nothing. So suddenly it's not only me, but your wife, child, dog, everybody comes and comes in. They're all having a conversation. You know, I want this, I want that. And basically my average boss which would be 3,000 rupees might become 5,000 rupees, you know. So that was what actually tidied us over until the site started actually functioning. It was six months for the site to start actually functioning, the technology to be in place and, you know, actually start performing. Uh, all of this stuff actually really sort of tidied us over. And uh, now I think the business is almost like 70% of our business is online as of well, two months ago. But it's already now it's changing. The, the, you know, as the markets are opening up, I think people are going back into the shops and that's changing already. So how do you sell Ayurveda to the West? I'm really curious to know. Think of me as a Westerner who's curious about Ayurveda. What are the Ayurvedic habits do you think as a Westerner I can adopt? So, you know, it's an interesting thing that I found that so it's, it's the two kinds of people. They're the Westerners who know about Ayurveda and they know more about Ayurveda than Indians do. It's very much like yoga. So yoga and Ayurveda are sister sciences. Uh, you know, you do the physicality to... If you're, and, and if you're, when your value body is out of balance, you go to Ayurveda. So though, and because there's a vast proliferation of, of yoga schools around the world, it's not just one country, I think it's a global phenomenon. But there's a lot of interest in that whole universe or some awareness of Ayurveda. Okay? And then, of course, there's a whole another universe. But then it's like for a lot of us, people like, you know, what is Ayurveda and what is it? And I think that's where the, the question is. So the ones who know about it actually know a lot and then want to know, why is my product got this and why is my product not got that and you know what is in this and what is there's like more questions than you could even anticipate and then for the ones who don't know i think that's the interesting one and that's what our challenge is going to be because that's where the majority of the population is so i think the thing what ayurveda is finding a balance and finding the right balance for you and if you are able to balance your body your skin and hair will look good so skin and hair are barometers for good health and if your body is balanced and you're eating well and exercising well and drinking enough water and you're in good shape your skin will look good your hair will look good you'll have less pimples, less acne, less whatever issues you've got. And till such time as you do that, here are some nice products which will help you get there. Interesting. In that sort of fashion, yes. I'm sort of I'm sort of summing it up. So how do you, uh, at Kama, ensure the authentication of Ayurvedic formulae uses and so on? More because, you know, uh, typically consumers nowadays are just you know, immediately going on to Google, checking ingredients, checking formula, checking whatever else is there, and then coming back, you know, self-taught or so. They, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the biggest one for us. So the thing is this, that there's a classical formulation, okay? And the classical formulation might say two parts goat milk, one part cow milk, one part buffalo milk, okay? And then this herb to be used fresh and that herb used to be druze dry and this one to be fermented over 14 days before you add it in. Very painful, very expensive, and no patience. Most companies are now just shortcutting it and saying, we'll just use the dry herb, who's not the patient, because fresh herb means there's a flood or there's too much, or there's drought, there's no fresh herb, you know? And too expensive to get fresh herb from somewhere else. So that's one of the biggest challenges we face is because we are sticking with the classical, the, the main classical, I mean, our adapted version of the classical formulation. So, you know, when we had the, the floods in Kerala, we actually had a short... So basically, for example, my hair oil, I only make it eight months a year because... There's no fresh herb available in the balance. So I have to create enough to be able to have that. And that's with two of the other products too. We actually produce according to the season. 
Um, and it's actually becoming a big pain now because with global warming, with these changes in uh, the drought, triple flood, flood, this, that, the temperature, you know, the availability, and since it's all plant-based, the availability is the biggest pain. So it's, it's, it's a challenge. It's very much a challenge. But that's the biggest thing for us is to make sure that we stick with the, 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 the authentic formulation and that there are no shortcuts to it. And to that end now, we're also looking at some kind of backward integration with, with farmers, with things like that. Earlier, we see we're too small. I don't think we have another remoters of scale to be able to do that. But as we're growing, that's one of our key initiatives is to actually go back and try and create a backward integration thing for, our, for, our, for, our, for the plants and for the herbs and the things that we use. I'm I'm just very keen to know how much packaging and visual merchandising has played a part in in your success. How big a role would that play in Kama's uh, success story? I think it's a. I think packaging. Well, that's what I studied, and that's what I went to school for. I think that's a. I think it's a huge role. I think uh, as human beings, I mean, just examine our own behaviors. No matter you say I don't care and whatever, you walk into a shop and you walk into a fancy shop. You look at the. Your eyes automatically go to one particular kind of thing. You go into a supermarket. Your eyes are automatically drawn to a particular kind of thing. To a visual. You're making visual judgments in addition to the nutritional judgments. So while brand X might have better. I don't know. Provability but brand while looks much nicer and feels much nicer and looks nicer in your bathroom, the chances you're buying that are, more, are much higher. You'll have to go back to brand A to sort of you know, read the fine print and then say, fine, I don't want to buy it. So I think uh, I think it's really important that the way things look and they feel. And, uh, you know, it's nice to have nice looking things in your dressing table, you know, and in your bathroom. It's, it's, I think it's really important. And also when you're paying a fair amount of money, so there's obviously there's the, uh, the efficacy part of it because that's critical, that that's what you're paying for and the authenticity of it. But if it looks nice to, you know, why not? I think it definitely adds a, it's a, it's a huge value addition for sure. Absolutely agree. Your packaging is fabulous, actually. You mentioned the proliferation of brands in the space, uh, Ayurvedic uh, beauty and wellness brands and people who claim Ayurveda and, and so on uh, in the Indian market today. And, and what, according to you, sets Kama apart from all of these you know brands that are coming up every day? So... I think the biggest thing is this authenticity and efficacy. I think that's the most important thing, you know, and I think there's the fact that, you know, we've been around for a while and we are continuing to do that and we are playing this and things also, you know, we're, we're creating products slowly. Uh, we're creating products that are effective or potentially effective. You know, we're also not saying that this is going to fix you after one use. I'm saying 21 to 30 days after use, your skin will feel better, your hair will feel better. Uh, you know, it's a long term. It's a, it's a long term play. There's no, there's no, there's no quick bucks. There's no quick, quick. There's no quick fixes. Uh, you know, it's application. It's oil you have to use again and again, and then you will, you know, then your skin will feel better, or your hair will feel better. I think the biggest thing is authenticity and efficacy. I think those are the two key ones. So you spoke a little bit briefly about your clinical trials. I want to know what kind of certification do you use for the products? So different things. So. There are, so for our organic products, there are, which are the oils, the organic oils which we have. And those have, an, basically, they're an eco-certification. There's something called LACON certification. So those are those. Uh, we also have uh, a PETA certification, then more testing on animals. And then the, the all the cosmetic products, in addition to all the trials which we do in India, and they all are manufactured under, you know, cosmetic or a drug license. But for the EU, uh, we are actually certified under their under their test things, which is actually a very big one because they are literally examining pretty much each ingredient. Um, you know, if you were saying neem, is it neem seed? Is it neem bark? Is it neem oil? Is it, you know, is, is it cold pressed? Is it hot pressed? What is the extraction process? So it's that level of, of breaking down before they give it to you. 
And I said, every year, they, there, there are 10 new products, which ingredients they decide to ban. So it's a constant process of cleaning up and to, to be able to maintain those certifications. One has always wondered why more Indian brands are not international. And with all this traditional knowledge that we have, why haven't you taken it uh, international much more than we have done? You mentioned yoga. Yoga is truly international now. What has your international expansion uh, been and, and how has it worked out for you? So, you know, ours has actually been very erratic and not cohesive at all. It's really been dramatic, you know, sort of uh, inorganically done, you know, sort of organically done. You know, people would come in, somebody would buy here, somebody would buy there. We had one very nice woman who's been selling for us in Europe for 10 years now. She loves the products. But we have a new investor on board and that was going to actually, I think the real, I mean, we we're actually planning to do this last year, but this year but obviously with the pandemic everything got shifted off so i think we actually have a much better uh, a better plan and i think starting next year we will have a, a larger uh, a larger uh, footprint going forward uh, a more organized footprint going forward uh, what ended up happening in india was basically we had lots of japanese and chinese coming into the stores they loved us people are ordering from us uh, we ship online from our uh, website uh, and that's around the world uh, so that's pretty much been that but there's not, there's not been an organized retail thing i think that's going to start taking place early next year okay let's look at uh, your personal choice if i were to ask you personally what are your three personal favorite karma products what would they be the shampoo the hair oil and the kumkumagi basically i have falling hair so it's very simple <laughs> you have to just be practical you know and it does stop your hair from falling it does keep your hair health better and i use basically use i mean i don't have patience to use too many products on my face so this is like a one there's like a one quick it's like a quick fix you know you just put on at night and it's taken care of it's taken care of everything you see, you know, you don't have to. It keeps your skin looking good. Uh, you know, I'm not selling it, but it's it's, it's my it's my one go-to, my my one quick fix go-to. Uh, let me ask you: uh, Do you have a core target group you've identified, or you know, you want to be everything for everybody, or no? So when, we, when we started, um, the Kama woman, so to speak, but I guess when we started doing this 2012, 13, 14, around that time, when we started doing these focus groups. See, obviously, that online was not so strong then. Everything was not there. So at that point in time, the Kama woman was 28 to 40. Uh, educated, well-traveled, uh, had tried and experienced other products and then chosen to go the natural and Ayurvedic way. So started with that. And then basically she was married, double income family, child or a child on the way. And uh, the associations would have come from yoga, working out, exercise, travel, spa, wellness, family exposure. So that was the basic, that, that is the initial target thing. So it's now expanded quite a lot because the products are pretty much unisex. So I find we, we have a lot of men using them. Uh, we also have, because we have uh, some very good, extremely good quality anti-acne products, we have a lot of younger, a younger audience. Mostly it's these mothers, well, older mothers buying them for their kids. For the you know sort of fourteen to eighteen kind of teenagery you know pimples you know, things like that we have that but the initial core group was this it's expanded it's become a little bit younger I'd say I'm finding you know especially with the pandemic I'm finding a younger audience and we're finding men coming into because I think perhaps it's got to do with Zoom where we're seeing our faces and our every every pore on our face you know magnified so much I think a lot of men also are now concerned about what they put on their face you know? I think it makes a big difference I'm sure D2C helps in getting younger audiences yeah absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, I understand that you said 
initially it was a lot of luck by chance you you know went with the flow and things like that but ultimately when you look at business growth you've got to have some kind of strategies in place what are strategies that have helped the business grow vivek um the biggest one was our own stores uh, i think that was our initial strategy was to open an own store um it gives you a place to experience the product and i think before online that was a, the only way to grow was to have your own store people would walk into a mall or into a high street they'd see your shop they'd experience it and they would you know test the product then they would use it they'd come back and buy some more of it uh, and also the brand awareness because the more you grow the more stores you're in people see you they are able to buy you more then as the online grew we found initially that people were really replenishing online they were buying them in the store so it's not a primarily online shop it was uh, it was basically you know you walk into the store experience it and if you can't get it then you buy it online or you can't be bothered to go into a shop you buy it online So I think strategically the store things were huge and I think that's something which we're continuing now and also now opening in, in smaller um, well in, in I, I don't know I don't want to call them in tier 2 and 3 but let's say smaller smaller places we've just opened in Ranchi uh we've opened in Panjim just now we're opening in uh, Bareilly and uh, a whole bunch of other places Indore Gwalior uh, you know across across all of that and I think that is specifically one for awareness trial brand exposure uh, i think that's really really important you mentioned you've done some interesting stuff with designers uh, how do these collaborations work you know have you done any more of them well you know the pandemic hit we did a few to start with um, they were kind of interesting uh, we actually did one only one big the thing is we on a constant basis i work with craft basically craft not design so much but with craft so and that's something which i was personally very interested in um, so you know like for example the baskets in our store come came from a not for profit in manipur every time we did a promotion so one diwali we did diyas which were made by some in a village in orissa the next time we did these um, um diyas they were made by some guys in khurja or something so you know each time we work but again working with a not for profit in things so that whatever we are able to do we are able to help somebody else and specifically a not for profit so if you have a choice to work with a not for profit or profit i'd rather work for a not for profit so just giving a you know opportunity and also now that the quantities have increased you know there are many more gift boxes there are many more diwali boxes uh it's just more interesting to be able to give back it's a, a lot of challenges because obviously it takes the supply chain takes much longer you have to order much more in advance uh, their quality issues but i think it's worth that only only from this point of view uh, we did one interesting collaboration with a fashion designer over valentine which is kind of cool that was kind of fun but we haven't done anything uh, bigger than that as yet we but we regularly work with a bunch of influencers of all or sizes of following if you wish to call it that yeah i guess that's the right that's the right terminology so you know micro influencers and large scale influencers you know who um, who we work with and that actually works very well with us we work with regional influencers and those are actually very very interesting you know we find it gives us very good feedback it gives us great responses from areas which we had not looked at doing so that's actually been extremely extremely useful for us let me take you back to uh, parson school of design your alma mater mm-hmm. let's uh, talk about art and designs that have caught your eye over the years they not necessarily be in your own category but just generally designs that you just look at and go whoa that's a pretty vast subject so i don't know i'm just trying to figure out what uh, like one or two interesting like one or two things that sort of stayed with me I think when I first discovered uh, the Bauhaus I think that was the most you know that is very the beginning of of one kind of you know one kind of learning of the, the fact that the school existed which you know created things and form and function and all the various disciplines and all the the, the brilliant artists that came out of there uh, you know working with color theory working with the furniture design working with architecture uh, I think that is one kind of thing that uh, 
that kind of stayed with me. And it still kind of is somewhere always in the back of my mind, this whole idea of, you know, form and function and, and you know, and working there. And the other thing that I, I, I'm really interested in is craft out of India, which craft out of most places, the craft out of India. And pretty much, you know, I'd say largely textiles, but also, uh, and I'm very interested in uh, textiles, how they are made and the revival of old textiles, revival of, you know, the techniques, the thought processes, how these guys made them. They're, uh, they have the most extraordinary color sense. They have the most extraordinary design sense. And you're wondering, where did this design sense come from? You know, was it just carried through? And then you look at design interventions made now, and a lot of them are not particularly good when you're working with these guys. So it's actually, it's, it's an interesting way to see. Uh, and actually, I mean, I'm really interested in how we, you know, how this, this process continued and how we can improve it without shoving intervention into, how do you say it? It's not an intervention. It's actually, a, it's, it's, it's a way to progress and not, you know, change the way they think and the way they, they work. Uh, I think these are, these are some areas I'm interested in and looking at. The market for uh, clean organic beauty products has exploded of late, right? Uh, and there are a lot of these startups which are digital first, which came into the business like, say, Mama or Tawa or Plum or any of these guys. And there are a lot of the older players, Kama, of course, and Forest Essentials, Himalaya and, and so on, who started retail first and then sort of uh, now trying to get into digital. So what do you think that you guys have going for you or Kama Specific has going for it, you know, and how do you you know, compete with the the new guys, funded startups that have come up in the space? Well, you know, it's interesting because the thing is, one is we're much more expensive. So, you know, it's a, we're a different price point uh, to all, you know, to the majority of these, the majority of the new players, let's put it that way. The older ones are sort of, you know, uh, uh, at a higher price point. And, you know, you can't be everything for everybody. So, as I said, what sets us apart is efficacy, is authenticity, purity. And I think that's what we stick by. And that's what we have. We have a very high repeat customer rate. It's almost 70%. And that's what we, what sets us apart, I guess, is that. Because, you know, I mean, as I said, you know, you can't, and there always will be competition. I think competition is good. It's good for the country. It's good for people. It's good It's good for the, it's good for everybody. To have competition is good for us too. Keeps us on our, keeps us on our toes, you know. Otherwise, you know, you also become, you know, like you sort of become, you know, isolated and think, you know, they just think no end of yourself. So I think it's good for everybody to have competition and keeps you on your toes. It keeps innovation alive. Uh, I think it's, it's, it's great. But I think what sets us apart is this, is the, is the efficacy and the authenticity. Now, this is not a tongue-in-cheek question. It's a very, very serious question. Given the phenomenal growth of Ayurveda as a category, how much would you attribute to Baba Ramdev and Patanjali? I think uh, I can't thank him enough. <laughs> Category grower. Yeah. <laughs> phenomenal. Phenomenal. No, and education. Otherwise, everybody before would come to say, kya hai Ayurveda? Harbal hai? Harbal hai? Natural hai? Kya hai? Now, I don't know. Ah, there's no things. And luckily, I have Ayurveda attached to Kama's name. So, you know, it's um, it's it's done. It's it's uh, So, can't thank him enough, I have to say. Uh, is revolutionary. I would say it's extraordinary what he managed to do. Really, really extraordinary. One man could revolutionize a, a, a thing like this. Quite extraordinary. I think it's helped, the, helped, helped everybody in this in this in, in the Ayurveda world, Ayurveda universe, I should say. It's true. The only place where Ayurveda sells on the road and there are more Ayurvedic medical shops than uh, normal medical shops is Kerala, actually. Absolutely. And, <laughs> and there's Patanjali there too. And uh, yeah, and now Patanjali has taken it everywhere in the country. <laughs> you know, just another question on the digital piece, and and really, uh, you know, it's cool right now to be digital and digital first and D two C and so on. So I know you've been trying to rejig and and sort of you know, the pandemic helped you uh, make that change, make that shift. How does your sales before and you know before the pandemic and after the pandemic and you know, differ in terms of the D two C part of it or the e commerce part of it? And how do you feel about the on-ground presence versus your digital presence now, having seen the last two years sort of pan out the way it did. 
go from 30%, we went to 70%. From digital 30%, 25, 25, 27%, we went to about 70% uh, digital sales. And our online sales, which our store sales, which were 70%, went down to 30%. Obviously, the stores are shut, things are not open, people are not going to shops. But having said that, while I do see a continuous increase in online sales, I do see people going back into shops. We're still a very young country. We're still a very new country. A lot of places have not experienced, um, how do you say it, retail like that. You know, when you're opening in these smaller towns. So while it might be a... might be boring to somebody in Delhi and Bombay. For somebody in a smaller town, it's definitely a, a new thing. They want to go. They want to experience it. They want to try this. They want to try the trousers on. They want to try the makeup on. They want to see the movie. They want, you know, it's not like I want to watch, watch it on DVD at home, whatever, it is, live streaming on at, at home, you know. It's a, it's a, they want to experience the whole space. They want to eat in the food court, you know, or in the restaurant, the cafe. They want to try the sari on, you know. It's, there's an excitement about that. You know, you want to take the whole family out there, see what you're getting them, getting them presents. So I think that's not going to change that quickly uh, you know um, so obviously it forced everybody online but I do see people going out again and I think you know you have to examine your own habits um, I mean you used to use you, you, I mean don't you want to go out suddenly like you know you want to go out <laughs> even though you're scared of going out or might still be scared of going out and the way you I mean human beings are pretty similar you know at, 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 at a base level so we all pretty much react the same way so if you want to go out I think most people want to go out too you know it's a it's a, it's a general feeling it's not you know them and us or somebody else's, you know, as, as an observed species, it's, you know, it's one universe pretty much. So congratulations, Vivek. 20 years in the business for you now. How does Karma look at 2022 and beyond? Well, sometimes I can't believe it's 20 years um, for something that started relatively on a lark. But um, I think going forward, the exciting thing is going to be, as I said, our original thought, which was to take something Indian, traditional, authentic out to the world. So it's taken us 20 years, but hopefully that'll start happening now. I think that's the exciting part. I think that's uh, the, the really interesting part is how we take it. And then the question you asked me earlier about how am I going to convince uh, a Westerner or a Far Easterner, uh, what is Ayurveda about and how they going to, how am I going to sell it to them and how they're going to use it? I think that's the challenge. And I think that's the next challenge. And that's the, that's the next exciting thing. So I'm actually, you know, I, I think that's for karma and for all of us at karma. I think that's the, the, the I, think, I think that's something which we, we're, we're looking forward to crafting, thinking about and seeing. And actually the question you asked is an extremely valid question. It's something which we are working on. Uh, and trying to figure out where we, you know, how do we do it? How do we convince? What's the peg? What's the hook? Uh, and how do we take this forward? Right. Uh, you mentioned about your factory in Coimbatore. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us about uh, the sustainability initiatives that you've done in and around the factory. So it's uh, it's new still. Uh, we're uh, hoping that will be a Leeds Platinum certified factory, a green factory. We're in a, a water deficient area. So we've obviously, there's all, there's all we're putting up a whole rainwater harvesting uh, thing. We've put up plantations uh, for temperature reduction. We've put up uh, gardens for uh, with the herbs, etc. cetera, uh, fruit plantations. But these are all new and it's now. So, you know, all of this will take, I guess, 10 years by the time it all grows to to size, you know, it takes a tree, you know, there's some fast growing trees, there's some slow growing trees, but you know, five to seven years, but obviously all this wastewater management, all of those things that we put in all of those processes uh, so that it's absolutely clean and we have these certifications in place very soon. So uh, it's a, it's a, it's a clean, it's a clean and green factory. So a PETA certification, you have a host of PETA certifications. What does that mean to you as a brand, Vivek? Well, not hoses. So PETA is one certification, which is on a bunch of products, which basically say we don't test on animals. You know, uh, the products are clean. We're doing no animal testing and we never have and never will. You know, it's, uh, I'm the guinea pig. Uh, so uh, it's, it's sort of, uh, you know, we basically it's all lab. It's, it's all, it's all uh, you know, tested. Uh, it's all tested on labs. 
there's no uh, trials on animals uh, no animals are harmed in the producing of our products uh, and that's what that's what it means you mentioned all that went into your uh, retail footprint and designing the stores and so on tell us about your flagship store uh, delhi's khan market one for example so it's a small store uh, it's 300 square feet 310 square feet and when we got it we weren't really sure first of all it took me about 6 months to get it because i wanted the store to be in the front to face the road so i thing was that even if we didn't make any money to be like a free ad so be like a hoarding like people can drive past and see the sign and this is a brand recall there so i kept thinking about that so that was a very important one and when we so i think location is key when you're looking at a store uh, a store i think location especially in retail even if it's a good mall if you have a bad location don't take it i think the location is key and in this khan market we had the location all over the place i specifically waited that 6 months gave up a bunch of shops until such time we got a good location i think the location is critical i then the biggest the next thing was what's it going to feel like when you walk in so we wanted to feel indian obviously i wanted to feel psychedelic pharmaceutical because that's what ayurveda is but i didn't want it to feel fuddy duddy so there's some sort of you know contemporaryness some sort of modernity uh, we wanted there to be a sense of smell because that's what the first thing that you come in what the people are wearing i wanted an idol of dhanvantri in the in the store and i couldn't and every store we have has an idol of dhanvantri there's something that i wanted and it's just something that i thought was important and i couldn't find one which i liked i was south india so they were made in they were made in granite or stone or very bulky and they were some strange looking wood ones so then i found a master craftsman in swami malai which is um where the, where the, where a lot of bronze work happens and he and you know there's a, there's a, there's a classical proportion for making an idol we made us two three samples and then finally we got the the, the right proportion and it's in the shop and since then is he's made an idol for every shop and each one is lost back so i didn't take the mold and give it to bradavadi let this guy continue and his family is continuing to make them for us so it's quite amazing you know it's uh, it's, it's it's really been a exceptional thing so he's been uh, and that and this is what I mean about working with you know small class people wherever we can you know so this guy we found him last time when i sent somebody down there find somebody found him and he still been making them still been making them for us and so this whole idea of india south india uh, because that's where we come from and so the markers to that so with the spice bowls uh urlis you know earthen uh, you know those uh, the, the sort of wooden spice boxes uh then the the make the mixer the mixers the whatnot but basically everything from south india and that was put around the shop again to give us a sense of some sense of history you know that or trace something idea of authenticity that we're coming in that we're from india we're authentic it's made in india and uh, using a lot of wood a lot of cane you know marble on the floor so it had a very nice sensation and i think that we've still followed that model is 10 years and we're still more or less you know working around that so it took us a lot of time and a lot of angst to create it but i think it was worth it uh, again the time you put into it into the packaging the same amount of time you should put into your master and your mother master look and feel because that's the primary touch point with of anybody with the brand and that's really important so investments from lighthouse advisors as well as the spanish brand puig those must have been welcome developments for uh, kama i'd like you to comment on them vivek so the first one was interesting because at that point in time i didn't i wasn't we weren't sure i should say the four of us whether we should uh, even take any money we were like first we were so small and then we were to take money and do what with it you know uh, you know get the money with them what happens with it you know and from that working ourselves around it over the past two years to this these conversations to of going on these conversations to actually working with it but i think that first round of money you know helped us grow exponentially it really helped us put business systems in place uh, hire people and the fund after sales extraordinary they really really helped us uh, grow you know help me grow help the company grow uh, guided us held our hand um, 
you know, with every and I think in every part of the business, it was really quite. I think for for us, it's been a great journey. And with Pooj, which has come in now in 2019, uh, that's our next growth story. Which we well, that's next part of the journey. It obviously got things got slowed down because of the pandemic, but that's where we see you know going forward. You know, working working with them to take Kama internationally. Brilliant. With that, we dive into the fun section of this uh, conversation. Uh, let's start with the first question, which really uh, we'd like to know who's the business leader that you really admire, and what are those qualities in him that really stand out for you, and probably you emulate already in in, in your everyday life. Hmm. That's interesting. You know, I never really followed business leaders, so I'm, really, I'm not really familiar with with the, with them. But I do. Uh, who I thought was extraordinary was uh, Steve Jobs at Apple, and I think the the thing that I really admired was the fact that he created products not based on consumer demand, but he made products and then he then the consumers wanted them. So like who thought of an iPad, you know, but he made an iPad and suddenly everybody wanted one, you know, and it's just the way, and as you know, I started using Macs when I was very young, when they first started coming out and I've seen them grow and I've seen them work and the technology that goes into them and the design, I think that's what really drew me to them was the, the extraordinary design, the refinement in detail, the, even the fonts that were used in the, you know, in, 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 in and the navigable, the, the amount of attention to detail in the navigation, the, the thought process in every single instrument that you use, uh, which you touch from Apple. I think that for me was extraordinary. I mean, I don't know what, what his business practices were like because I'm not really that familiar with them but I do know that there was an extraordinary and there's, I know there's lots of up, whatever, ups and downs but I, I think what I really admired was this extraordinary gift to detail uh, this refinement to design and this I'd I, I, I say almost visionary approach to creating products which even people didn't know they needed what kind of music do you listen to? What's on your playlist? And if you have any memories of great music concerts that you went to recently or before the pandemic, of course, uh, I'd like you to share them. Okay, so I've been to a music concert for a while. I think the last one I went to was uh, with the Gundecha brothers and right here at the Habitat Center in Delhi. I think that must have been four or five years ago. And uh, what do I listen to? I listen to a bunch of different things. So um, I listen to, it depends. So I, I have some like one workout, actually exercise music and then I have music I listen to, which I sort of enjoy. So that, that's sort of adrenaline. I would say, uh, I guess I'm some sort of like trance type, you know, um, trance, trance techno sort of stuff, which is sort of what I do for exercise. And then what I listen to for um, for myself, I listen to uh, opera, I listen to classical music, I listen to Indian classical music, Hindustani classical music. So that's sort of genre. Sort of extreme. A book that has made a left, uh, left an impact on you. Lots of them, but what I'm actually reading right now is the title. It's a great book. It's called Meditation in Action. Wow. Chogyam uh, Trungpa. It's a great book. I'm sort of rereading it, I think, for the, it's a bit heavy going. Rereading it for the third third time, but it's a great book. And it's something which I started reading. Actually, I bought it at the airport, I think, about two years ago. And I sort of keep, I keep going back to it. It's very, very interesting. What that you follow and your favorite player at that sport will be? Not good with sports. <laughs> That's an honest confession. No problem at all. <laughs> your your favorite vacation spot and, and why you love going there? Don't say you're not good at vacations. <laughs> no, no, I, don't, I'm, I, I don't know. I love the idea of vacations. I just don't manage to get enough of them. Huh. That's I think I think that's the but yeah that's the interesting thing about this pandemic it sort of felt like you sort of parked in one place for so long you sort of forgot about you know what day went into night and into day and you sort of you know um, I, what do I love going to okay I love going to the mountains and I love going to the beach I and mean, to the sea I'm not like a major how do you say it like I'm not fussed about uh, you know going to fancy restaurants and fancy I'm not into that that's not 
I think, I think I've been there, done that sort of thing. So I think now I'm interested, what I'm interested in is uh, where I can, uh, where something's really beautiful, where you can relax and be yourself and spend time with yourself. Uh, I think that's what interests me now. I love going to Japan. I love cherry, it. Cherry blossom season or anytime? I've never been to cherry blossom. I've missed that. But I, I think I've been there like four times now and I love going there. Uh, I just love everything about it. I guess, again, the design, the culture, the food, um, the attention to detail, the refinement, I guess. I guess I'm drawn to those things. So, you know, the refinement in everything, uh, in every little thing. I mean, it's literally the tiny, tiny little things. You know, one little Dubai, one little takeaway, anything that's like wrapped like a gift I would be able to give anybody. So I think I, I keep, keep going, but getting back and being drawn to those things. Uh, so that, I guess. Vivek, we really love how you've taken an ancient science and modernized it without compromising its fundamental values. All the best to Kama Ayurveda and to you for the journey ahead. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And, and, and uh, yeah. you know, you said you're not a pioneer. We think you are and, and we love how you've rejected your operations, transformed it when you required to. You know, we've ridden the pandemic the way you have. Uh, you've been on your feet. We'd like to commend you for that. And thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to be here. And thank you for some of the questions. They, they made me not think. So that's good. <laughs> so why is important? It's important. Thanks so much. With that, it's time to wrap up another episode of season two, but not before I give you a heads up on something special that's happening on the Women Empowerment Front since it's International Women's Month. Now, this year to celebrate women from all walks of life, we bring to you a virtual award ceremony on the 25th of March, felicitating She Slays Champions. That's hashtag She Slays, chosen by an eminent jury, a roundtable of women breaking through stereotypes and cliches. And this event will be hosted by Radio One presenters and the editor of Health Shots. Yes, uh, healthshots.com is a health and wellness destination for the millennial women and you're very excited about our She Slays campaign for International Women's Month and also these amazing awards do join us thanks for tuning in guys and make sure you keep listening to some great radio and podcasts build that habit and come back next week for another episode yep minding my business the CEO story shall be back with another captain of the industry who's been a path breaker remember we're on 94.3 Radio 1 on FM radio on an HD smartcast and podcast form over all major streaming platforms it's a Radio 1 production so till next week it's bye from me Rishi K and me Ramesh Menon see you soon this was a Radio 1 production brought to you by HT Smartcast. HT Smartcast.